Hello and welcome to HipCast, the podcast here to improve hip fracture care. From the Australian and New Zealand Hip Fracture Registry, I'm Research Assistant Neve Ramsey and on behalf of the ANZHFR, I would like to acknowledge the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation as the traditional custodians of the lands on which we live and work at the ANZHFR. I share this acknowledgement to the traditional custodians past, present and emerging across Australia, New Zealand and wherever you may be tuning in from. Today, I have Professor Alison Mudge joining me on the podcast to talk about the Eat, Walk, Engage program. Professor Mudge is the clinical lead of the Queensland Statewide Eat, Walk, Engage program, Metro North Clinician Research Fellow, and Professor of Medicine at the Royal Brisbane Clinical Unit. Welcome, Professor Mudge. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks. Lovely to be here, Nate. So to begin, can you please tell us about your professional background and your research group? Yeah, so I'm a general physician. I've worked for many years at the Royal Brisbane and Women's Hospital, um, and that has made me very interested in care of older people. So I um, became a health services researcher, and my mission really is how we improve hospital care for older people and and post-hospital care to some extent as well. So I lead a multidisciplinary research group that's embedded within the health service, Um, But I I also have the opportunity to collaborate um, with a lot of other partners in academia and in other health services. And so for um, the study we're going to be able that we're going to discuss today, um, uh, our CHERISH uh, trial, I was lucky to collaborate with um, a whole range of people, um, uh, geriatricians and health services researchers uh, around the country and also had um, fantastic mentorship from my hero in the United States, Sharon Anui, who's just been a real pioneer of improving care for older people. What was the motivation behind your study? And can you briefly outline the study design for our listeners? Yeah, so the, so the um, study uh, was a hybrid um, implementation effectiveness evaluation of a program called Eat, Walk, Engage. And I'll return to that um, design in a second. But Eat, Walk, Engage is a program that um, my colleague Prue McRae and some of our other collaborators um, and I had been developing at the Royal Brisbane Hospital based on some previous quality improvement work we've done and also a lot of the literature about improving care of older people in hospital. Um, and we had done some pilot work um, around trying to develop a program that could really help local teams to put in, you know, the fundamental Um, cares that we know really help older people in hospital, which sound simple, but are actually really hard to do in busy, um, task-driven, ward-based cultures. So things like making sure that people are up and walking around, that they've got somewhere to walk to, that they've got the assist, you know, the walking aids that they need, making sure that people have adequate nutrition and hydration, which might be making sure that their water jug is filled up or that they get assistance to sit up and maybe help with opening their packets and then meaningful cognitive and um, social activities, which of course are under enormous pressure in our hospitals at the moment uh, with the pandemic. But we know that these strategies are really important to prevent functional decline and delirium in hospital, which are the two biggest complications in hospital for older people. So that was really where our motivation came from. And we developed this program um, using an implementation framework, the iParis framework, which really helps explain how we get difficult 
um, practice change that might affect multiple disciplines or might involve multiple pieces of evidence into real life practice. And we'd had some promising results with that. So we managed to um, uh, get a big um, grant, so through the Queensland Government, QUT, Metro North and Sunshine Coast Health Services, a, a partnership grant, um, a Queensland Accelerate Partnership grant that allowed us to do a proper um, effectiveness trial, basically, of this um, complex intervention. And it's tricky when you're trialling complex interventions. So, you know, the, the, the best trial design that we usually go to and think about is, is individual randomization so that some patients get um, a, a bundle of interventions and others don't that we can compare. And that's a very nice clean trial design. But our, our program really targets the whole ward. So we, um, we work with the, so a facilitator works with a work group, a multidisciplinary work group on the ward to really understand what care looks like for the older person through interviews with older people, through some structured, careful structured observations of mealtimes, of activity levels, um, and then really trying to reconcile the care that we want to give with the care that we're actually giving and to try to create that tension for change and improvement. And then we add in a, a part-time multi-professional allied health assistant who can help the team, but they don't do all of that work. They're, they're there as that extra pair of hands, but the team really need to change their own practice. So once you're doing that kind of intervention, you can't provide that to one patient in a bed and not provide it to the person next door. So you really need to be using um, a, a, a cluster trial design. So we used a, um, uh, we did, used a cluster randomised design where we had four hospitals um, in southeast Queensland and each of those hospitals nominated two wards that were caring for older people. And the criteria really was that more than half of their patients were aged over 65 on those wards and... Um, and that uh, there was some support from the nurse unit manager for those two wards to potentially participate. And then when we'd done some baseline measurement, we did uh, we randomised them. And so one ward in each hospital implemented our Eat, Walk, Engage program and one ward didn't. And then about nine months down the track from starting, so a pretty short period of time later, um, we did six months of, of detailed evaluation um, and we basically compared patient outcomes on the wards that did the intervention versus those that didn't. And the patients that we recruited were all patients who were aged over 65, who were in hospital for three days or more, because that sort of fits with the literature and there are some pragmatic reasons um, that you would choose that group. Uh, and, and the wards that we randomised, so the intervention wards included an orthopaedic ward, including hip fracture patients, um, uh, two medic, um, a medical ward, a respiratory ward and a um, general surgical ward. So they were our intervention wards. So a really nice mixture of patients, which is both a blessing and a curse from a design point of view. Um, yeah. So what were the major findings of that study? It sounds like a tremendous amount of work. But I'm interested yes. Here. Yeah. <laughs> and it, and it, well, you know, it, it really is, I think, Evaluating these kind of trials is really tricky. And I mentioned before it was an implementation effectiveness trial. So the so effectiveness is what we've reported in our um, study just published in JAMA Internal Medicine, which is enormously exciting for us. Um, 
And uh, the other part is really looking at how we did things. So there is a separate um, paper that will be coming out hopefully soon um, describing, you know, the, all, all the work that went behind the scenes to get actually get these practices into practice. So that's a whole, I guess, another a, a separate story. But in terms of the findings from the effectiveness part of the trial, we showed a, a significant reduction in delirium occurring in hospitals, so incident delirium um, and in fact, we almost halved incident delirium. And that's really very much in keeping with the most recent meta-analysis, the Burton Cochrane review that shows um, a very similar point estimate of reduction in delirium. So that was really pleasing to find. Our disappointment was that we didn't significantly reduce functional decline and we had shown reduced functional decline in our pilot study on a vascular surgical ward. Um, so that was a little disappointing, and I think there are a number of reasons for that that we could talk about if there's time. But um, but that will I think they'll become fairly apparent in the implementation evaluation. We showed um, a reduction in uh, a number of other patient outcomes, so length of stay, discharge to residential care, readmissions, and mortality. But none of those reached statistical significance. So so we showed about a ten percent reduction in. Um, uh, readmission and mortality at six months, about a 15% reduction in length of stay and about a 20% um, reduction in residential care. But the confidence intervals were very wide because we had such variation in our, you know, it was a real world trial. There was a lot of variability between, um, between trials. So promising findings, but really the take home message is that reduction in delirium, which was significant. And fantastic. And how do you feel the results of this study can impact care of patients we see in the hospital, such as hip fracture patients? Yeah, look, I think so our delirium findings, I guess, in one sense are not new because there are, you know, really beginning back with um, Sharon Anui's uh, Hospital Life Program, there's been um, very, very consistent evidence that if we can get these practices into place, we reduce delirium. But I think what ours really adds is that we have thought really hard about how you go about doing that. And what we really know from the literature is people trying harder doesn't work. You actually need a structured process. So we have a very structured process um, uh, with a facilitator who's got some dedicated time and other studies of successful delirium prevention programs have really highlighted how important that is, that there's an investment of some dedicated time just to help the teams with, with getting, you know, really understanding what their local problem is, getting people on board, getting people's um, priorities aligned because our wards, our acute care wards are so busy, aren't they? There's so many competing priorities, competing tensions, risk concerns, um, that sometimes we focus our attention on the wrong things. And I think this program really helps our staff to focus back on those fundamentals of care, gives them permission to give the kind of care that they want to give. And that, um, and that really results in great improvement. So I think, I think that the advantage of our study is, firstly, it's the first big Australian study to really show these results. But secondly, it really gives a little bit of a how you do this. And un unfortunately, the message around that is a bit unpalatable because it actually does take investment of resource. Um, but the potential cost savings and distress savings, both for patients and staff, by preventing delirium are so huge that we really need to get serious about investing in these kind of programs. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. Are there any aspects of the trial that you would change if you were doing it again? 
Yeah, this is this is a great <laughs> question because every yes. child is like, oh, if only. So I guess the first thing is, you know, your primary outcome is a somewhat arbitrary choice, and um, uh, and we're kicking ourselves that our primary outcome wasn't delirium because that was probably where the chances of improvement always were the greatest. Um, but we chose to set a more ambitious target, which was this combination of delirium, functional decline, falls, pressure injuries and incontinence because we know that these are outcomes that are really important both to patients and to hospitals. They feature in the national standards. Um, they're interrelated and we've published some really nice work that shows that the number of those complications that you get really predicts your outcome. So they're kind of mutually reinforcing and as more and more things go wrong, your outcomes are worse. So that was really our motivation for using this um, composite outcome. But like I say, because we didn't impact the second biggest, so, so delirium and functional decline are the largest, and because we didn't impact both of them, the overall changes were too small to be statistically significant. Um, so then I guess the second thing is that I would have loved to have two years to embed the program before we started um, evaluating because it was a really short time before we started the evaluation. And it's a very complex intervention, takes a lot of time to get the team on board, to start putting in small changes that might be things like creating a space that people can actually walk to because people don't walk if there's nowhere to walk to. So that might involve, you know, finding a sofa and a table and some jigsaw puzzles and sorting out who's going to tidy it up and negotiating with infection control about who's allowed to sit there. You know, these all take time. So, so we we gave us as a very short run-in period, and this is the common sort of grants constraint problem. We had two years to complete the study, and so so we really ran ourselves short. So I think that I think that our opportunities to continue to enhance and refine the program are enormous, and and so I think we we pro we have the potential to create better outcomes than we saw in the trial. And I guess the third thing is our confidence intervals were really wide and. This is, I mentioned before, the sort of blessing and curse of a study because we included all sorts of patients. We included frail and not frail patients, patients with and without cognitive impairment, patients with high degrees of functional impairment who are often excluded from trials. And the reason we exclude them from trials is because the more the same our patients can be, the tighter our confidence intervals around the estimate in, in your results. So by having a real-world trial our results are very generalizable to a whole bunch of different clinical acute care settings but um we did end up with these really wide confidence intervals that that paralyzes our statistical significance but i don't think i would actually change that because i think we need to be doing trials in the real people that we're looking after okay thank you absolutely and what what aspects of this research do you think should be explored further in the future where to now Oh, yeah, look, we've got so much that we're still doing. So, so like I mentioned, there's, there's a big implementation evaluation so that will be coming soon. So really looking at what process measures changed, what, what actually happened, what implementation strategies our facilitators used, what improvement strategies the teams put in, and how that differed between different sites depending on what their local context was. So that really helps to understand much more sort of within the black box of this Equal Engage program. So um, uh, that evaluation's been completed and I think it really helps 
to explain some of our findings. And, and so we're hoping that that will be published soon. Um, my colleague, Jill Harvey, who's um, uh, the implementation science expert on our paper has also um, done some beautiful qualitative interviews with our facilitators right through their journey as they were learning the ropes. And I think that that's going to be a really beautiful analysis of what this facilitator role actually looks like, how they feel about it, how, how the position gets mentored and developed. Um, We've still got the 30-day outcomes to um, finish analysing and presenting, and I think that that will also add another dimension to the results that we've had so far. And we haven't really done much exploration of impact on staff. So this is a program that's targeted as much at staff as it is at patients. So um, the impact on staff is really important. And, and we have some colleagues in at Flinders University that have um, implemented Eat, Walk, Engage on a medical ward down there over the last year. And they're doing some evaluation of what, what the program meant for staff, what, what made it difficult for them, what made it easy for them. Um, and I think that that will really add. And then um, we were very fortunate that we finished the trial just at a time that um, there was a lot of advocacy in the state of Queensland around improving care for frail older people. And we were very fortunate to um, uh, be part of a large program, the Frail Older Persons Collaborative, that has, um, that's been a state government initiative um, funding a number of evidence-based programs that have been developed in Queensland and Eat, Walk, Engage was one of those programs. So we've been able to scale up now to 17 hospitals around Queensland um, over the last two years. And uh, so usually with two wards in each hospital um, and really, uh, you know, impacting um, tens of thousands of Queenslanders now with our program. So we are learning an enormous amount through that scale up. Um, we've really refined our support. We've, we've got really good professional development for our facilitators, for our multi-professional assistants in the program. Um, uh, we've got communities of practice between our between the program staff, but also the clinical leads and, and um, medical leads of, of the program. And, uh, you know, really learning an enormous amount around that. And of course, we'd, we'd love to see that expanded beyond the state of Queensland. So, so we'll have some really large scale real world evaluation um, that we hope will continue to augment what we've already learned through our trial. Again, um, Professor Mudge, for those who are interested in potentially finding out more information or getting involved, is there, where's the best place for them to go? Yeah, so feel free to contact me directly. So Alison with one L dot mudge at health.qld.gov.au or um, you can reach out through our Eat, Walk, Engage email. So eatwalkengage at health.qld.gov.au. So always happy to talk to people about the program. Um, and, and, you know, we would love to see other states investing the way that the Queensland government has in this in this really, you know, effective delirium prevention program that helps our most vulnerable patients. Well, congratulations on implementing and publishing your work from such a promising program. Thank you for your time today and for sharing your experience with the Eat, Walk, Engage program for our HIPCAST listeners. It's been very enjoyable to hear. Thanks so much, Neve.